On the show today, we have Gina Human. She's an author uh, of a book called Love Never Quits. The book is about adoption and reactive attachment disorder. Um, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Um, so what part of the country are you in? Uh, I'm in Littleton, Colorado. Okay. And this book is uh, apparently won uh, the prestigious Mom's Choice Award, right? It did. Yes. Thank you. And so tell us a little bit about uh, how how you came about writing this book. Because um, I know you uh, in the book, the book is also about adoption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So my husband and I um, suffered about four years of infertility and then decided to adopt our kids from Guatemala. My first one was super easy, thinking that we were really good parents. We decided to go back and get another one. And my second one was neglected by his foster mom before we got him. So he is that is that Maddox? That's Maddox. Yeah, he came to okay. us with uh, anger, anxiety, violence. It started from day one. We just didn't know what to look for. So we spent the next decade trying to figure out exactly what this was and how to fix it. <laughs> what is uh, attachment uh, disorder? What, 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 they call it RAD, right? Reactive attachment yes. disorder. Yes. So there's uh, reactive attachment disorder. It's a somewhat controversial diagnosis, so not all therapists recognize it, which is very frustrating. Um, they are also calling it now developmental trauma disorder. But basically, it comes from not making uh, an attachment, a solid attachment with a caregiver in the first three years of life. So that first three years is really critical. That is when you learn everything you need to know for the rest of your life about relationships. And if you have a crappy caregiver, that affects the whole rest of your life, how you react to different people. So it's, for example, if a, if a mother has like a mental disorder and they have a child mm-hmm. and they're not able to bond with their child, the, the child uh, gets this uh, reactive attachment disorder. Is that correct? Right. And not every kid will get it. Um, some kids are more prone to it than others. And generally, it's if there's some sort of profound abuse or neglect um, in the first three years of life, it's, you know, most adopted kids are usually okay. But if they, but even even kids who were adopted right at birth can have a little bit of trauma. Um, reactive attachment disorder just takes it to a whole nother level, um, okay. and it's really so, frightening and scary. So, so kind of walk me through how this happened. So, you adopted your first child, and first child was great. Mm-hmm. And you go to you went to Guatemala again, and you said, "Hey, you know, I'll try this again." That's when you got, and you adopted Maddox. And so, what were the first signs? that indicated to you something was wrong? um, He didn't sleep through the night. Um, He was angry. And, like, the planet had to align for him to sleep. Um, He was... He cried for extended periods of time. Um, You know, when we got him, he was only six months old, but he was reaching across the table for food. So we sort of got this feeling that he wasn't fed regularly he was really underweight um and just things kept getting harder as he got older his terrible twos became terrible threes became terrible fours (laughs) and my doctor just didn't take me seriously i was like something is wrong with this kid um 
you know, and thankfully I had another kid who was easy. So, you know, she, she tried to turn it into, well, you just need to take some parenting classes. I'm like, well, my other kid is fine. So I'm, so wait, you got, you got another kid after Maddox. No, no, no. He, we had, we have two. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So I thought and, you, that's uh, what it was before. Okay. Literally, um, the plane ride home from Guatemala with Maddox, um, he screamed the entire five hours making us the most popular people on the plane. But at that point I was like, all right, we're done. Two is enough. <laughs> and, uh, and then it just got harder from there. So, I mean, is it, is it that the child can't bond with a caregiver or is it that the caregiver can't bond with a child? Well, it's which, which... generally that the, the, the caregiver doesn't bond with the child in the first three years. And that makes it more difficult with subsequent caregivers that now they're mistrustful of adults and they really don't trust anyone. And that becomes anger and that becomes violence and that becomes acting out. And, and the, the primary caregiver is generally the target. So I got worse treatment than anyone else in the family. Lucky you. Because he spent the most time with me. And as he got older, then it became, he was trashing his room. He was he didn't take the word no lightly. He would often, you know, destroy things or lash now, out. Now, would your, would your husband ever try to discipline Maddox? Oh, yeah, we both did. Um, it, he just didn't always do what we asked him to. So th that makes it more challenging. And then, of course, you get all the advice from strangers, friends, and family who are like, oh, all, the, all he needs is a good spanking, and all he needs is, you know, you just need to do this, you just need to do that. But because of his condition, um, timeouts actually made him angrier. And so he would come out of a timeout and be worse than he was when he went in. So he wasn't learning anything from it. And the more you tried to do all those different regular parent tactics, the less they would work. <laughs> So it, it, it sounds like this condition is is rare, and that's why a lot of uh, practitioners don't take you seriously on it. What do you think? Yes, it is rare. Um, it's much um, more pronounced in foster kids because there is a reason they were taken away from their original family. And so I would say in the foster community, I, I've heard something like 40% have some sort of attachment issues. That's a high number. That's a very high number, yeah. And um, in the general that might population, scare, uh, potential adopt uh, families, adoptive families. What's that? To hear, that might scare uh, some families who are wanting to adopt kids. That's a yes, really high percentage. Knowing that it's a possibility going in, I think you can you can plan for it and put some things in place. And just knowing that it's that it's a possibility helps a lot. We didn't know what to look for. We didn't know this was even a thing. And so we chased down all these other mental illness uh, diagnoses over the years. You know, they first said he was ADD, then they said he was bipolar, then they said ODD, and they just kept throwing out other terms. Nobody came up with reactive attachment disorder till he was almost 10. And that's a well, whole... It thing. wouldn't seem like it would be in the benefit of these agencies to let you know. What exactly. And I'm, I'm working with a local agency here in town that's actually trying to put together some post-adoption services so that at least people are aware of it and they know what to look for and they know what to do if they see these signs early. Uh, I'm just trying to help shorten the, 
the duration for some other families. I mean, we were very lucky that we are a survival story. My son is doing amazing now, but many families that isn't the case. And a lot of times they get the kids when they're already like 12 years old and it's so ingrained in them that there's no recovering from that. So now, now will sufferers of this uh, rad condition um, pass it on to their children or to relationships? Uh, possibly, yeah. If they don't get the right kind of therapy and are able to start forming bonds with people, then yes, it, it very much turns into um, very sad stories. Um, some people think... <laughs> that there are some serial killers out there that had rad as kids. Um, I can tell you that um, the shooter at Parkland uh, High School, or the high school in Parkland, Florida, he was diagnosed with rad. His um, birth mother was um, an alcoholic, a drug user, a convicted criminal. She um, put him in the foster care system. He eventually was adopted by a family, but then his mother or his father died and then his mother died. So he had all kinds of trauma that nobody ever addressed. And that's the case with, um, Simone Biles brother was just in the news. Um, they had the same issue. He was, um, shuffled into another family when he was, I can't remember what age, but older. Simone Biles, just so our audience knows who's that. Uh, she is the Olympic gymnast that won the gold medal. And, um, she was adopted by her grandparents, and her brother um, was adopted by another family member in another state. So they were separated, raised differently. He was much older and didn't bond with caregivers ever, and so we suspect he's a rad kid as well. It almost sounds like there should be a, a tier system for adoptive, adoption centers, like kids who might you know, be mentally ill or have difficulties. So parents could be prepared and could mitigate these effects and, and could help the kid out eventually. I think if you just blind adopt a kid and you kind of like hide that information, I think it makes it worse for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And what are the treatments for RED? Um, there are quite a few different therapies. Um, what we discovered that worked really well for us was a family intensive therapy where all four of us were there four hours a day for two straight weeks. Um, it was the equivalent of about two to three years of therapy because of how intense it was. There were four therapists. Sometimes the kids were working with two of the therapists and my husband and I were working with the other two therapists. Sometimes it was one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes we were all together. So they had a lot of different tactics that they used, but they really focused on the bonding part and also him realizing that this was not his fault. Because that's another thing with rad kids. They have very low self-esteem, and they think that they deserved whatever abuse or neglect that they received. They think it's their fault. And that is absolutely not the case. He was too little to, to have done anything wrong. <laughs> right, right. Um, it almost seems like these parents should be held to account for doing that kind of damage to kids, too. I, I've met people in my life, too, who who were raised by mothers who were alcoholics or drug addicts and uh, fathers were also very sick and they're so damaged and they don't know how to navigate this world and they think mm -hmm. it's all their fault and because they were so young when these uh, things happened to them, um, right. they're helpless. They're really helpless. 
Yeah. yeah, and I feel like there should be some sort of like training program for parents as well. So that like once you once you're in the hospital and you have the baby, they say, okay, well here's a here's a support group you can, you know, join, and here's somebody who will check up on you. But I guess there's not enough resources to hit every kid in the world. So right, that's uh, it's it's a really it's kind of like a situation that falls through the cracks, and mm-hmm. but can ki- kids also get rad from their biological mother. I mean, can the biological mother also create that environment where, where they don't have that yes. bonding? Yeah, I was I was just about to say that it's about 1.4% of the population, which is about the same number of kids that have red hair. So it's, rare. it's <laughs> uncommon. It's pretty rare. But um, And because it's more common in adopted kids, a lot of people associate it with adopted kids. But it can happen in biological kids, too, if there's some kind of separation. So parents who are deployed or um, maybe in the, the hospital or divorce. alcoholics. What's that? Even divorce. Even divorce, yeah. And and it's very common in stepchildren as well because um, a lot of times they were taken away from the other parent and now thrown into a new family and things get tricky. Now, it, all, it almost sounds to me that RAD is connected to or associated to PTSD. Is it a type of PTSD or is it a completely separate condition? Yes. No, it is very much a, tra- a trauma disorder. It is. Mm-hmm. And then parents of RAD kids or family members of RAD kids are also prone to secondary PTSD from dealing with a kid that's lashing out at you all the time. I had... PTSD really bad and have just finished up some therapy and I think I'm good now but it was it from it, the adoption uh, reason um, from the at- attachment disorder yeah wow. um, X was very violent he would um, he would trash his room if we put him in and time out and did you ever uh, feel fear for your life oh yes I did mm-hmm. did you have to like uh, hide knives and things like that Oh yeah, he he pulled a knife on us a, a couple of times, and um, one time he was in his room just trashing the room and throwing you know everything he could come up with lamps and um, and he he took the pictures off the wall and smashed them all over the ground. We walked in, there was glass everywhere. It took forever to clean up out of the carpet, and um, and that was kind of a turning point for us where we were like, oh my God, this is really serious. What are we going to do about this? <laughs> and still, like, it was very hard to find people to help us. That, that is such a great uh, a great thing that you're talking about in your books about. I think people should definitely know more about uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, because at the end of the day, sometimes they become abandoned, even by the adoptive parents or if they get back sent back to a foster home. And they do go to schools and do kind of like the things that, that we've been seeing recently with the, uh, right. with the shootings and things like this. So we all need as a community to come together and, and help uh, these people out and, and find out what are the best methods to help them out. But what, what do you, what do you see in the future or what ideas do you have in the future for adoptive adoption centers uh, to implement well, to avoid this kind of stuff? I think, first of all, if they could implement better post-adoption services and keep in contact with these adoptive families after the adoption and not just say, okay, it's just like you had your own baby and now you're on your way, have fun. Do they ever screen these children, like especially if they're from other countries? 
Um, yeah, I mean, we had we had a medical exam on Maddox, but you know, it was, he was too little to really see any attachment issues yet. Um, yet there were some signs after we brought him home, but it's still very hard to diagnose in a in a baby. So, so you you don't see that until after the age of three. So from zero to three is where the trauma is kind of culminating, and after right. that, it kind of expresses itself into this this kind of uh, violence. Right. Yeah. And some kids aren't even violent. There are other kids who just act, who act out sexually. There are other kids who, um, smear feces on the wall. Um, that's pretty intense. Yes. Tell me what's, what's the craziest, most intense story of rad you've ever heard of? Um, well, I think it was last week. There was a kid in Alabama that killed his whole family and it can't get more intense than that, I guess. No, it really can't. Um, and he, again, not, I, I don't know for sure if he's a rad kid, but the stories I've read in the news say that he was removed from his birth mother. Um, his parents were divorced. His dad took him in when he was about five or six, and he was already challenging at that point. And then, you know, the stepmother really struggled with him and, and this is what happens. So. I wonder if these people also have like uh, suicidal ideation. Absolutely, they do. I know my son did, and it's very common. I'm in a lot of rad support groups now, and I hear that a lot. Is that their kids are depressed, anxious, you know, all kinds of issues. They lie, they cheat, they steal. And now, when uh, when they get treated, uh, like what you mentioned earlier, is it only talk therapy, or is there medications involved? Um, some kids are medicated depending on what their issues are. Um, my son, we had tried probably 13 different medications over the years and none of them really worked part, partly because, um, he didn't have ADHD and they were giving him ADHD meds. Then they gave him bipolar meds and he wasn't bipolar. So they didn't, you know, they just kept throwing medication at it before they would do the therapy part. Um, my son was treated with this family intensive therapy. Uh, we didn't notice anything right away. It took probably about over the next year. His violent episodes got fewer and further between and maybe not as long. We living with him every day didn't notice it. And we were like, oh yeah, that therapy didn't work. But about six months in, we went home for Christmas to visit family and the family pointed out that he's much calmer and he's much more open with people. And we were like, oh, really? And then we started to notice it after that, after it was pointed out to us. So what advice would you give someone who's currently living with someone uh, who's adopted and they're afraid for their life? I mean, what, are the, what is like the number one step do you think they should do? Um, join a support group. Um, reach out to other rad parents because it's really helpful to know what other people have tried and what's helped other people. Um, I mean, there are some families that are helped with neurofeedback or what, EMDR, which is neurofeedback is um, training the brain waves to become more normal. And I, I guess you, you, I, I've not tried it, but you watch some sort of computer screen thing and you teach your brain is trying to do different things and apparently it works really well and it's very effective but it takes about 40 different appointments to get to success 
um, which can be out of price range for a lot of people. Um, EMDR is another one that's eye movement desensitization and retraining or something like that, where you um, apparently when you sleep, you're, you process your emotions during REM sleep when your eyes are doing this back and forth. And he uh, that can help you if you're guided by a therapist through the EMDR process, it can help you process a lot of your emotions and recover from some of these things. Um, I had EMDR years ago for infertility treatment therapy, mm. and it helped me a lot. In like one appointment, I was cured, but I don't think that's the case with most rad kids, but they can recover slowly from with EMDR or with EFT tapping is another therapeutic technique that seems to work on some of these kids, but really they need intensive therapy and they need the whole family to be part of that so that they can see that the family is trying to bond with them and try to, you know, solidify that bond. And so tell us about your book, uh, Love Never Quits. Um, so it's the true story of my family's journey through RAD. Um, I think it also has some really useful information for all people who might come across a RAD kid. or And, you know, it does affect the, our whole society because these kids are – they're using up resources for, you know, taxpayers' money goes to foster care systems and things like that. Um, kids in schools are disrupting schools and disrupting instruction. And, you know, that's taking away instruction from other kids. And then we have the whole crime issue. If these kids are not treated and they turn into criminals someday, that becomes um, another taxpayer issue. Now we have to put them in jails. and Right. Rehabilitate so them. when when kids go to a psych ward, I know they're they're tested and asked questions about different uh, conditions. Is RAD one of them? It depends on the psych ward. Oh, so there isn't a standard um, across. Yeah. Is there a standard? Yeah. Is there a standard across all psych wards where they they a questionnaire to find out what they have? There is, but I'm not sure that um, that RAD is always recognized right away. A lot of times they put you in a different box or or they blame it on the parents. They say, oh, these, they just don't have very good foster parents. These adoptive parents don't know what they're doing. Right. So. That's horrible. Are there any mm -hmm. other things that you would like to talk about that I might have missed? Um can't think of anything off the top of my head other than you know we're really trying to fight for better melt uh better insurance coverage for these families uh, do insurance companies uh recognize rad as uh, something to work on they do but they don't always give you coverage for it um everything we did with pretty much everything we did was out of pocket um we probably spent probably spent about a hundred thousand dollars over the years and uh not every family can do that. You know, we were lucky. My husband has a good job, and I was working as much as I could on the side to try to fund these programs. We haven't, we hadn't been on vacation in years, <laughs> so our, all of our resources went into trying to help our son. Not every family can do that, though. So I know that's. I'm really trying to help all the other families who can't afford what we did. To now, let me ask you this question. What's that? If you were to press rewind and you were to choose not to adopt, would you still do it, even though this happened to you? Um, 
yes, <laughs> I would because I, my son is amazing now and, you know, we just had to clear out his head from all the trauma that he went through, but I really wish I had known more when I got him and could have done some more preventative things or gotten him therapy sooner. Now, is your case uh, with your son, now that he's recovered, a rare event? Or is it, most people who get therapy become uh, cured from this, or is it very rare? It's pretty rare. Um, there are some really great treatment programs. Um, the one we went through is amazing. Um, there's a couple others that are more of a residential treatment facility where the kids move in, but they still um, involve the parents and incorporate a lot of bonding activities with the parents. But when they get to a point where they're not safe around your other kids, that's when maybe a residential treatment facility is a better option. So uh, how old is he now? He's 15. Okay, so is he in a regular high school? Regular high school. He, we went to a different school for middle school that was a therapeutic school environment, which was really great. I didn't appreciate it when they referred us there. <laughs> but um, once we got there and I saw what they offered to him, they had, um, they had meditation and yoga to help him with his anger. They had a, a social worker that met with the kids every single day. They had a therapy dog on staff. I mean, it was, it was a really cool school. And um, I thought- Sounds like a school might... I'd go to. What's that? Sounds like a school I'd go to. I know. And it was all experiential learning too. So like they did rock climbing and they did, went on hikes and they did improv classes to act out their English assignments. It was really fun. Um, but between that and the therapy, that was kind of our magic triangle. The home, the therapy, and the school were all on the same page. It was a multifaceted strategy. Right. And then I also thought that he would stay there for high school because he was doing so well and he was comfortable there. But turns out he wanted to be in the marching band more than anything. So he, by eighth grade, he was getting better. And we thought he was maybe ready. He thought he was ready. I wasn't so sure. I was still in my PTSD mode and panicked that something was going to happen. But it's funny. He, he, he got he got. He got over his stuff. He got, you know, therapy he needed. Yes. He recovered. And now it's your turn. And I got worse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's your turn to recover from that, yeah. Yes. So I literally spent his whole freshman year waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for, you know, the school to call, and they never did. So he, wow. he just, he really did an amazing job last year. He's a sophomore now. He's, he's in six different bands, and uh, he plays the tuba. And he's got decent grades. He's got friends now. It's just... It sounds like a success story. It's an amazing success story. And he's also, in case anybody's wondering, he approved the book. <laughs> he wrote a chapter in the book about what oh. it's like to be a rad kid. And he is speaking with me and sharing our story. So he's, he's fully on board to help other kids now. Awesome. And with that in mind, where can people find more information about you? Um, on my website, which is loveneverquitsbook.com or ginahuman.com, but my name is hard to spell. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, For those who don't know, her last name is H-E-U-M-A-N-N. And can people also find your book on Amazon? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, Gina. Thank you for having me.